welcome to the Blister Podcast, a program dedicated to interesting people, the great outdoors, and a bunch of other stuff we like. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. I happen to meet my guest today in one of the best possible ways you can meet a person while heli skiing last year, where she happened to be my guide. But Angela Haas certainly isn't just some guide. She's one of the most accomplished mountain guides working in the U.S., and she is now the president of the American Mountain Guide Association. Angela is also an environmental advocate, a business owner, and yes, she still somehow manages to get more days in the mountains than the vast majority of us. So I talked to Angela about how she got into guiding, the various roles she has taken on in her career, the advice that she would offer to aspiring guides, her experience over the years as a female guide, her company Chicks Climbing and Skiing, her work with Pow Climb, and more. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our Blister Speaker Series at Western Colorado University in Gunnison, Colorado. The next and final event for this school year is happening April 25th at Western, and our guest will be Ashley Kornblatt. Ashley is the owner of Western Spirit Cycling and the owner and founder of Outer Bike. She is also the creator of Public Land Solutions. She is a board member of the Outdoor Industry Association, and she is an inductee in the Mountain Bike Hall of Fame. Ashley is also an important player in a lot of significant outdoor policy initiatives and ongoing battles, so we will definitely be getting her take on some of those issues and her thoughts on the best ways to move forward. As always, these Blister Speaker Series events are free, and we'd love to see you at Western on Thursday the 25th. And now, let's get to my conversation with another remarkable woman, Angela Haas. Angela, how are you today and where are you today? Hey, Jonathan, I am excellent. And I am in my lovely home in Ridgeway, Colorado, in the southwest corner of the San Juan Mountains. Excellent. And uh, I should say, you you just got back uh, to home. Is that right? Like, just got back? Uh, I recently got back and I'm just about to leave again. Yeah, I just got back from Iceland and a ski touring trip there. And I'm just about to head up to Canada uh, tomorrow for uh, to run a, a ski guide exam for the American Mountain Guides Association. Wow. Part of that is a nice little teaser and intro into some of the things we're going to be talking about today. But, uh, you know, you and I met, uh, I believe it was February of last year, and we met in pretty interesting circumstances because you were my guide for a day of heli skiing in Telluride. That's right. I, I remember it. I don't remember the conditions, but I very well remember you. Well, and I, the other kind of funny part of that story was, well, I guess the first part's not quite so funny, but I had broken my neck the summer prior to that. So it was backcountry skiing in July. And so I was coming to Telluride to ski for a few days. And uh, when this when this worked out to, uh, to to jump in with Telluride Helitracks, it was technically my first day back skiing since a broken neck. And so I was like, hey, you want to go heli skiing? And I was like, that's not really what I had on tap, uh, you know, for my first day back on skis. But yes, I do. And uh, did you write that? Did you put that on your form? I don't remember us having that discussion. Um, whatever <laughs> answer is going to not get me in trouble. That that was then the correct answer. But I'm I'm now. not sure I was advertising that fact uh, at the time. But uh, yeah. And I mean, honestly, I mean, you and I met and not to my credit, I wasn't aware of your whole background. So you and I got introduced and all I know, I was like, Angela is amazing. And then I started telling everybody that and they're like, yeah, we know. And then I was like, wait, what? And then I started digging in and was like, good Lord. And so, I mean, really, I, I think in some ways I'm the one who looks bad from that story, from my ignorance. And yet I think in some ways it was really cool that I just thought I was going out with this nice heli guide 
And it turns out like we had a, a really good day in the mountains. I thought you were super pro. And then it turns out, well, there's reasons. It's because you are a super pro. So um, that, that was kind of cool. And I was like, we are going to we are going to talk and have a a good follow up conversation uh, when we're not flying around in a heli sometimes. So I appreciate you coming on today and, and uh, talking with me. Oh, I'm psyched, Jonathan. I, I really remember having a great day with you in the mountains, like you said. And and that's what I do. I, you know, I thrive on providing people safe, positive experiences in the mountains. And it's always great to hear that I was successful in doing that. So you are not merely a heli guide, though, uh, to say the least. So I'm always curious, you sit down on a bus or a plane next to a nice stranger, and they ask you, what do you do? How do you answer the question? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> depends on how long the bus ride is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm in my fifth decade of life. And so I've had a lot of, I've worn a lot of different hats. Um, if I'm on a bus ride to go do what I do, then I'm probably going to talk about that hat that I'm wearing. But um, if, if I have more time and the folks are interested and I'll expand a little bit more, but you know, it's always, I base it more on, you know, the questions that are asked rather than tooting my horn. I'm just as interested in learning about someone else sitting next to me than I am telling them all about me. Mm. Well, I'm afraid to break it to you, but this time it's all about you. <laughs> and, and consider us very interested. So okay, let's, let's start. I mean, I know it's, it's a long list. You know, if you were going to kind of name the ways that you kind of most self-identify with the work you do, how does that answer look? Well, firstly, I identify as a guide, as an IFMG guide that, uh, you know, specializes in the disciplines of rock climbing and alpine climbing and uh, ski mountaineering um, and sharing my um, expertise with others to, again, provide them with exceptional experiences and uh, technically challenging areas and mountain ranges and uh, all over the world. Um, secondly, I probably identify as a, a guide trainer and examiner for the American Mountain Guides Association. Um, and that's uh, has increasingly become one of my passions over the years is, you know, sharing uh, my knowledge and experience and uh, grasp of a real wide breadth of, of subject matter and technical expertise with the, with guides that, uh, you know, want to do, want to guide for a living. And uh, I've been so enriched by that myself that I really uh, enjoy sharing those experiences. And um, I love teaching and, um, you know, furthering uh, the, the career of mountain guides in the world. And um, I guess thirdly, um, would be I'm a relatively new business owner, which has never been a, a goal of mine in the past. I've always, as I said, number one, identified as a guide and someone who uh, prioritizes just getting out in the mountains with people and never thought I wanted to be a business owner. But um, a company that I work for called uh, Chicks with Picks um, for the last 20 years uh, it, I had happened to have the opportunity with a couple other colleagues that I worked with there to purchase it three years ago. And so uh, I have a partnership with three other women and uh, we are uh, learning by doing and thriving and uh, having all kinds of successes and, and growing. And, and that's that's really exciting because it's all new and uh, challenging at the same time, but very, very rewarding. And I guess I also have to mention, because my latest thing, um, which I'm very excited about, is I'm the president of the American Mountain Guides Association. And, um, you know, I've been worn a lot of different hats for the AMGA, boy, since I took my first program as a candidate in 1993. Uh, I served a six-year term on the board of directors in um early 2000s. And uh, two years ago, I joined the board of directors again and was elected uh, president. And uh, so that's all very exciting. Um, new challenge and just stuff work that's, you know, near and dear to my heart. And I'm really passionate about it. 
I feel incredibly lazy and unaccomplished right now. It's very, it's very good for, you know, my ego, like in teaching me humility. But these podcast conversations I, I get to have, usually five minutes in and I just think about how lazy I feel, <laughs> given the people I get to talk to. Good Lord. Well, I'd say you're pretty much a go-getter from what I remember. You know, there's there's a lot to unpack in the things that you just laid out. And we're gonna we're gonna try to touch on, you know, most of them, you know, here again in this conversation. But before before we move on, give me the one or two sentences about chicks with picks. Uh, chicks with picks, which is now chicks climbing and skiing, because I'm a passionate skier. Um, we trans we transformed women's lives through providing them with experiences in the outdoors that are supportive, that are educational, that push their boundaries, and that teach them to be self reliant. Uh, members and and contributors to teams either in rock climbing, multi-pitch climbing, alpine climbing, or uh, backcountry skiing and um, avalanche education. So let's back up. Where did you grow up? I grew up in the Allegheny Mountains of West Virginia in uh, beautiful Monongahela National Forest surrounded by gorgeous rivers and far removed from uh, the other parts of West Virginia that it's often more famous for, coal mining. And so when did, tell me about, you're the, you're the president of the AMGA. You started in West Virginia. Tell me about this trajectory into the guide life. <laughs> it's a good question. Well, I grew up, I grew up climbing trees and, um, you know, I grew up in a really small town and surrounded by beautiful forests. And, you know, the mantra then was go outside until and play until it's dark. And uh, so I grew up living adventures day by day and, you know, had parents that were very supportive of just having fun and playing as a kid, but also, you know, provide good discipline for, you know, doing well in sports and, participating in kind of extracurricular activities. Um, the, my mo- the motto for West Virginia, I, I think I live true to this, is mountaineers are always free. And I didn't think about it a lot as a kid, but I definitely, it, that's, that's been something that I've carried through for sure. And uh, uh, I left, I didn't rock climb or do any like technical outdoor stuff when I was a kid, but I did uh, move out to Arizona and I went to a small liberal arts college in, um, in Prescott, Arizona, where I studied environmental studies and the and outdoor education. And that's where um, all of the world just expanded exponentially for me because I got out there and Everyone was climbing rocks and kayaking down rivers and backcountry skiing and all this stuff that I was was all very new to me. Um, and it was a very small college at the time. I think there was 80 students and like maybe 17 faculty members or something like that. So class sizes were extremely small and uh, you had to participate and engage. And, you know, I just really um, fell in love with the outdoors and mostly was inspired by uh, my mentors and instructors who were the coolest people I'd ever met. They were incredibly happy and, you know, they were just teaching me all this stuff about the outside, about the outdoors and the environment and um, ways of interacting with others in it and, and how to, you know, pursue technical pursuits safely um, that I just, wanted to be like them. You know, I just thought they were the most amazing people I'd ever met. And, and, uh, I wanted to be happy at that point. I didn't really know what I wanted to do for a living. Um, but after being exposed to these instructors, the path was pretty clear to me. And I worked, um, I think my first professional job was actually working for the college. They had a summer rafting program, rafting down the lower section of the Grand Canyon from Diamond Creek out to Pierce Ferry. And and it was all student run. Um, We organized the trips and every weekend all summer long, we would, uh, we had clients that the college 
um, advertised throughout the, the winter season and we had full trips and we rotated what guide did the shuttle and what guides were, um, were, you know, guides on the trip. And it was just an incredible experience to just be kind of put out there. And at that time, the, uh, flow on the Colorado river was like a hundred thousand CFS. And it was, it was definitely rocking and rolling and, uh, you know, big learning, a lot of hands-on learning there. And, you know, my, my, uh, opportunities at Prescott college were incredible. I got to go raft or kayak around islands in Baja and climb peaks down in, in Baja and off the coast of Mexico that were just phenomenal and, you know, all over really. I mean, we, the, the outdoors was our classroom and the San Juans here where I live was certainly, uh, that's where I climbed my first real mountain of any significance. And, um, and I fell in love with this area and ended up teaching for the college after I graduated. Um, prior to that, I was working for outward bound in the Pacific Northwest, um, as I was still a student there and I was doing, I was working for outward bound in the summers. And then that all led to, um, kind of being influenced by other, uh, people that were doing the same thing that had moved on to the next thing. And then that led me to more technical guiding. And I got, I had my first job with the American Alpine Institute, I think it was in 1992 and uh, loved working there that provided opportunities to work year round in South America and all over North America and guiding on Denali. And um, that that's where I really decided that technical guiding was, um, the path that was the really kind of made my heart sing and uh, kind of stuck with it. So what I didn't hear you talk about in your story yet was, you know, I didn't hear this part where you were like, you know, and then I became absolutely obsessed with climbing, got done with school or quit school and did nothing but just obsessively climb without a focus on anything else. It sounds like this is a bit more of a, let's say, well-rounded story. Is that an accurate depiction of how your actual story went? Um, well, I did have a, a long period of time where I um, was completely absorbed with rock and alpine climbing. And I had a boyfriend at the time who was climber and he was better than me. And, you know, we went all over the world. I did my first Himalayan expedition with him. We, you know, climbed all over Yosemite and Canada, the Tetons. And um, both of us were working at Prescott College at the time. I was an instructor after I graduated there. And so we'd spend our summers just in all of our breaks, you know, traveling. And my, I was really obsessed with like just getting a lot of these experiences. He was quite a bit older than me and had already climbed in the Himalaya and all over the world. And, uh, you know, I was just really hungry for those experiences and he was still really keen to go out and do that stuff. So for me, I just was really fortunate that I had a mentor that was better than me, that had a lot of experience and, and was also loved to travel like I did. But, you know, throughout that whole period, yeah, the climbing was like, Super, I was super passionate about it and pushing my personal standards, but it was also always just about being out in the mountains. And, you know, he was a keen geographer and knew a lot about natural history. So we always, you know, focused a lot on the natural history and geology and, you know, had, we didn't talk much about climbing. We talked about like how cool it was where we were and where we wanted to go. So again, just to make sure I'm getting the details of your story correct, you're an instructor, you're going out a lot of time in the mountains. And then is there this interest in moving toward technical guiding or had you all, was that, was there an overlap there with the instruction stuff and the technical guiding stuff? There was definitely an overlap because, um, you know, working for Outward Bound wasn't that technical, but it provided me a really solid base of like all the mountain skills and as an instructor, like navigation and camp craft and just finding your way around and challenging situations and making good decisions like that really gave me a good platform educationally. And then when I started working for Prescott College, a lot of the 
uh, programs were very technical in nature. Like I would teach a three week rock climbing class that, that, and I would have eight students and that's all they did. They would just rock climbed for three weeks, um, solid. And I'd have a couple teaching assistants. So our ratios were really low and we'd progress the students from, you know, top roping initially and working on movement skills to anchor building and place and protection. So within the last week and a half, they were out leading multi-pitch climbs in small groups of two. Um, same with like whitewater kayaking, you know, doing, uh, teaching kind of the technical aspects and getting on class three and four rivers with, with college students. But, and I think it was really the contrast from working for Outward Bound where the experience wasn't as so much about learning the technical skills, although they were learning them. It was more about the process and how you become a, a good human being and, and develop problem solving communication skills and leadership skills to um, seeing the potential of just like teaching technical skills at Prescott College, which then made it more interesting for me as I became a better climber to want to work more directly with smaller numbers of people in the mountains so I could do more technical objectives. If if someone is like, this all sounds amazing, I would love to start down this path of becoming a guide. Do you feel like there's, yeah, look, here's the five things. If you're serious about trying to make a career as a guide, I highly suggest, you know, doing A, B, C, D, E or something like that. Great question. Yeah, the advice I give be it a female or male, um, one, you have to do it for the right reasons. You have to want to, you know, work with people. It's all about people. It's not about having a career and climbing all the time or skiing all the time. That's, that's a benefit of the job, but it's not what it's all about. So you have to do it for the right reasons. Um, two, it's like you, you have to have a very solid, um, foundation of personal experience and a lot of time in the mountains, just figuring things out yourself and getting a lot of mileage and, you know, making the wrong decisions and learning from them and um, challenging yourself and, and just having a solid platform of resources to draw from when you're, you know, responsible for someone else out there. Uh, three would be get, get trained, you know, go to the American Mountain Guides Association and take your guide training and certification programs for either all three, if you want to become a, a, an American Mountain Guide, an IFMGA guide, um, that would be Alpine, Rock, and Ski. Um, or if you want to specialize in any of those three disciplines, same, go through the training and certification process. And then four is you have to be fit, you know, you have to maintain a high level of fitness. So you have the reserves and capability to, you know, keep going and deal with anything that comes up that's unexpected and, you know, help other people if, uh, if that's called for. Um, and you just have to, just have to have a lifetime of like really focusing on your fitness. And for some people that comes really naturally and for, for others, uh, you know, it's something that you have to work for. Um, and then I guess the the fifth would be diversify. You know, don't specialize in necessarily one thing and don't just know how to talk about climbing, but like actually know something about the environment and your workplace and how you can share that and uh, create a better experience for the people that you're sharing it with. To get a little more granular into sort of different certifications and the rest, can you go ahead and just get started, say, with the AMGA? Or is it like you better have these precursors in place before you are sort of knocking on the door, you know, at the AMGA to say, I'd like to, I'd like to be a certified guide? Yeah, great question. And it runs the full gamut from, you know, entry level courses like a single pitch instructor course. Um, the prerequisites are, um, you know, fairly low relatively, but still a significant uh, achievement for a lot of people is to be able to lead um, a five, six climb, uh, protecting it with traditional gear. 
Um, so, you know, you have to have a certain number of climbs all the way up to, say, a certified rock guide who prior to taking your final examination would have to have a couple of uh, like a significant number of grade four climbs that they've already guided under the belt um, and personal f- grade five climbs like a, a El Capitan in Yosemite under their belt and significant um, technical ability to you know climb 511 um so it's it's really just quite the gamut but you know we design it's all well designed in ways to to one set people up for success with the prerequisites that are required prior to any program and um two to just ensure that uh people are trained and certified at the international standard that we represent so we have the amga and then the ifmga tell me how those operator work together? Yeah, that, well, the American Mountain Guides Association is our national uh, guide association that is recognized by the International Federation of Mountain Guides as upholding and training guides at an internationally recognized standard. Um, there's a lot of guide training schemes out there, not just in America, but in, in all other countries. Um, but the IFMGA is the organization that uh, is rec- represented um, by alpine, rock, and ski mountaineering training and certification in those three disciplines with uh, requirements, depending on the country you're in, from anywhere uh, from 100 to 120 days of training and certification. That's actually just taking your courses and training exams um, if you want to become an IFMGA guide. Now, um, a couple of member associations of the IFMGA, of which we are one and Canada is another, will train and certified guides in in individual disciplines. So here in the States and in Canada, we have uh, certified alpine guides and certified ski guides. In the U.S., additionally, we have certified rock guides because we have so much rock terrain here. Um, Most of the other IFMGA countries uh, train and and certify guides in all three disciplines. Um, however, now there are some countries, um, say from like South America, that aren't ski countries that are just being trained and certified in their rock and alpine disciplines. And the, the International Federation of Mountain Guides Associations currently has 25 member associations from all over the world. And most of these uh, countries that participate and have guide associations have terrain that's glaciated. Um, And there's also programs within those, many of those countries like we have uh, here for instructors to train and get certified in um, like just the single pitch realm or a multi-pitch rock realm that doesn't involve glaciers or skiing or anything complex. But, you know, uh, there, there's probably more work in working with groups and clients in that type of terrain than there is combined with, um, you know, alpine and ski anywhere. Um, so what the American Mountain Guides Association does is we represent, um, folks, members that want to be guides and instructors, and we provide uh, the training and certification and resources to further your education and, you know, just be a kind of like the supporting body for this group of people and and our career. And, uh, you know, one of our main things that we're focusing on these days is advocacy and increasing um, access opportunities for all of our members and all people that are wanting to provide the public with uh, facilitated access to the outdoors. And that isn't necessarily just the technical aspects, although that's what we do. We're working with other groups um, like the American Canoeing Association and mountain biking and uh, the Mountaineers and all these different groups and colleges to to try to uh, move forward our our cause and, um, again, providing facilitated access for the the public. And in most IFMGA countries, 
access isn't an issue because an IFMGA guide is recognized as licensed to provide an experience to the public. And in many of those countries, they don't have the um, land management, uh, not really issues, but just the land management establishment that we do um, around permits and insurance and all that stuff. Certainly have to be insured, but um, access is much more open and IFMGA guides uh, in most countries where uh, there are member associations are recognized like a doctor or a lawyer, you know, a, a career that needs a, a level of credential in order to, you know, provide a public service. And uh, that's certainly not been the case historically in the U.S. Um, and certainly, you know, the, the U.S., uh, we have a culture of being pioneers and, you know, somewhat cowboy-like, and and that's great. And I, and you know, I grew up like that. And my initial training was formal, but a lot of guides wasn't. And um, it's there's a lot of different ways to learn, but there certainly are standards that um, increase safety. Along those lines, given this pretty vast guiding experience of yours, I'd love for you to share one of your favorite guiding trip experiences and maybe then one of the most harrowing? (laughs) Harrowing ones usually get forgotten and that's why uh, Alpine guides keep guiding in the Alpine. You have short, short memory. (laughs) But certainly my favorite all-time trip, it's it's a no-brainer. I can always go right to it is... um, guiding in it in the Antarctic Peninsula with ISAX expeditions. Um, I've done six seasons down there or six trips, um, guiding and being the lead guide now on a ski mountaineering trip off of a, a like a cruise ship. Um, there's it's, it's to me, it's the full package of a real adventure, which, um, you know, it, it feels harder these days to have real adventures because, everybody's out there doing stuff, which is great, but there's not a lot of places you can go where you just feel like, oh, this is, there's no information, you know, you're just thinking on your feet and problem solving and, you know, reading the terrain sight unseen and finding the best snow. And it's, uh, so this trip we do every November, it, um, we have like a hundred clients, 25 guides. It's an incredibly, complex logistical endeavor that uh the expedition leader doug staup just orchestrates beautifully um it's it's a well-oiled machine he's done it for years he's got an incredible crew of guides that come year after year and um and it's one of the most incredible places to share nature with with people in its rawest form you know there's nothing like the antarctic peninsula and even the experience of getting there and crossing the drake passage and getting back is is like you never know what you're going to get and it's always it's always very exciting and the uh again the nature is just absolutely incredible with penguins everywhere and seals and orcas and humpback whales and incredible just stunning visual eye candy, you know, everywhere you look. And it's just a stark, gorgeous environment that just really strikes a chord for me. Um, And the opportunity to share that with people that, um, you know, other guides, working with other guides down there, they're guides from all over the world come on that trip. And uh, I, I love that. I love the international nature of the whole trip and the collaboration and um, just, benefiting from everybody's expertise and providing an incredible product for the clients. You know, we, we go out on Zodiacs to shore twice a day because we come back to the boat for lunch and it's just like a, you know, four star floating hotel with chefs and amazing dining and chocolate on the pillow. And, you know, your adventure skiing, you're roped up as soon as you get to shore and, you know, there's crevasses all over the place. And, you know, we've, conditions range from powder skiing to like corn skiing. And, um, it's just, yeah, hands down best trip ever. I'm, I want to go for the penguins in the chocolate yeah, on the pillow. Right. And you know, the skiing too, but you know, <laughs> totally. mostly I'm in it for the penguins in the chocolate. Absolutely. It's worth it. Start saving your pennies. Okay. Okay. 
Um, okay, so we're we're repressing the harrowing. <laughs> harrowing. Oh, jeez. You know, it's. I think anytime there's the threat of lightning. Um, that becomes harrowing really quickly. And I've had a number of kind of close calls, no direct experiences, but uh, I worked in the Tetons for 13 years for Exum Mountain Guides. And that place is a lightning rod in the sky uh, because of course it's the highest thing around. And when lightning comes in, it it comes in fast. And, um, you know, I've never um, had the experience of being on the mountain with clients where I felt like I was, you know, our lives were at risk, but I've been hiking up to the base of the mountain and certainly um, involved in some rescues where uh, others were not so fortunate. And uh, for me, the, the combination of, you know, being in very technical terrain where escape is certainly not fast or easy uh, when there's lightning around is, uh, I would, call that harrowing anywhere it feels almost strange asking you this you're the president of the amga and you are i I know from being out with you on the mountain i mean you are so comfortable in your own skin making all these decisions and the rest it's easy to forget that you happen to be a woman in a very male dominated profession And while you give no indication at all that this ever was sort of an issue at any point in time, how has that dynamic been a factor or maybe not been a factor throughout your experience? And I'm curious if you've found the situation or dynamics to have changed over all of these years that you have been a working guide. Yeah, great, great question. I'm I'm really glad you asked it. You know, I personally have never um, felt that it was awkward or more challenging because I'm a woman to be in this profession um, as my overarching kind of feeling for my profession. You know, I, I love guys. I've majority of my life and experiences in the outdoors. My partners have been guys. Um, I grew up playing tackle football with a bunch of boys and my cousins and, you know, I had a helmet and shoulder pads. And so I've always been a tomboy for sure. And, and that may be one reason where I've never really felt a lot of degrees of separation. Cause I always like just grew up being one of the guys kind of, um, because I like doing physical stuff and just like playing hard. Um, I, I think starting out in my career, that was never really, um, that challenging for me. Probably the, one of the, the, the things that, um, was most challenging is I didn't have mentors as I didn't know, uh, women that were already doing what I wanted to do. Like all of my role models, um, that were guides and instructors, not necessarily like professional climbers, um, were, they were guys. And so I didn't really have an example to follow until I started working at the American Alpine Institute where Kathy Cosley, who was the first um, female American guide to get her IFMJ license worked. And so I benefited tremendously by learning from Kathy at that point. And I'd already been, you know, working in the outdoors professionally for, you know, 10, 12 years before that. Um, So what right now there's a lot of successful women that are uh, working in the outdoors and so one of the things that i would just encourage women that i have an interest in getting involved in this is um you know look to all the examples that are out there and and i've i've never personally wanted to have kids um so that's never been uh, a challenging part of deciding whether to be a guide or not and i think it does make it more challenging for women that want to have families and you know have kids and but now there's so many women out there that are professional guides that have kids and they take a break and 
they like come right back at it full steam, if not stronger than before. Um, so there's so many examples of successful women, IFMGA guides or rock guides, alpine guides, ski guides out there that have families that are navigating it successfully and, and continuing to just do what they love to do. Um, it's, there's no doubt that, uh, it, there are a lot of challenges in um, for women getting into the sport because you know we're we're having the DEI inclusivity conversations and we we there were a lot of years where we didn't have those conversations and so right now I think it's it's very exciting because we're all learning as we go and we're learning how to be more inclusive and and we're able to have those conversations as to what what makes a safe place for you know maybe a female to be the only woman on a, a course that has, you know, 10, 11 guides on it. Um, and having those conversations at the beginning of the courses and, and learning together how we can navigate that in a respectful place that's safe for everyone. And uh, it's, boy, things have improved a lot since we've started to have those conversations. Um, you know, I think that they've improved for everyone. And in my experience, um, I don't think that, that uh, you know, guys are the are the problem by any means. I think that our it's our role is to educate everybody as to like what the challenges are and what some of the solutions can be in these um, experiences where we we do have mixed groups. Um, I think a solution can also be to have you know start women out in an all female environment, like we do with chicks climbing and skiing and the American mountain guides association with support from the North face this year has a, our first ever all women's rock guide course. It's a 10 day course, um, which is just had overwhelming, uh, interest. Um, so I think starting out in a, an environment like that, that maybe feels a little bit more supportive is a great, great way for women to get started with some of the more technical aspects. Um, and I think having conversations with guys that help educate them as to how the environment can be better for us all. It's like, you know, it's women that speak out for themselves. Um, you know, if there's an issue or someone's like, you know, talking inappropriately, having kind of guy banter, or whatever. Um, if, if a female's the one to point that out, oftentimes we're seen as bitchy or direct or abrasive. And, you know, if a guy would point something like that, they might be seen as confident or, um, you know, a leader. Um, so I think women can have these labels that go back a long way that we're, we're challenged to overcome. And I think bringing more awareness to that is important, but also, encouraging guys to like be the one that speaks out. Like if you recognize that someone's being inappropriate around mixed company, don't rely on the woman to call, you know, call them out on it. Be the one that steps in and, and calls the, the other guy out on it. That's, that's how we move things forward. Um, yeah. So uh, there's, a, it's very exciting times in both guiding and the outdoor industry with all the work and support that's going forward to move uh this conversation in the right direction because boy there's a lot of demand for for female guides and um you know there's a lot that can be learned um by male guides working with their their training and certification and working alongside women and we we you know we have different ways of looking at things we have different ways of decision making and and we're all people you know we just have to learn how to navigate kind of this awkward situation while we're where we are. And uh, in another 20, 15, 20 years, it'll be a non-issue. We won't even be talking about it. Hmm. <laughs> Say more about that. Well, I think, you know, with everything like diversity, gender equity, I mean, we, we're, it's, it's great that, it, that we're having all these conversations, but the, the youth that's up and coming, I mean, they just see each other as people, you know, they're not black or white. They're not male or female. They're not gay or straight. You know, they're just, they're just people. And, uh, we've, we're, we're at an interesting time where we're overcoming so many longstanding, just 
kind of cultural norms that uh, that I think like everything is going to shift really quickly. Just like, you know, look at technology. I mean, when, when I started guiding, I, I wasn't doing email. I didn't have ways to communicate with people around the world. And, you know, it's just amazing how fast things change and the, the hope for these younger generations coming into, um, you know, the sport, the world, it's, it's super hopeful. And, you know, ultimately as a guide, everybody has to come prepared. You have to be like capable of performing like physical tasks that are very demanding and making decisions in, in risky terrain. That's going to keep your, you safe. And, you know, everybody has to be doing that. The color of your skin doesn't matter. It's like, everybody just has to like come with the same skill sets, like for any career. Let's talk for a second about Protect Our Winters and POW Climb and what you've been doing with them and your involvement there. Awesome. Uh, I've been involved on the Alliance with Protect Our Winters for just two years now. And um, I think a lot of that is, is my heartstrings getting pulled back to environmental work that I used to be a little more focused on. And and also just what I've witnessed over, you know, more than three decades traveling all over the world and, um, you know, and experiencing mountain ranges day after day, year after year for decades. Um, it's it's just been kind of phenomenal to witness change on such a uh, remarkably fast scale Um with glaciers receding, with uh, risk increasing, with, um, you know, more rockfall. And, and I, I've just really been pulled to get involved with Protect Our Winters to have a platform to um, kind of speak out about some of these things and encourage others to get involved in ways that they can work towards climate advocacy and, and just being good environmental stewards and um, trying to take more responsibility for, um, you know, our actions, whether we vote or we don't vote, whether we call our representatives, whether we have a voice and how we have that voice and, um, just really like trying to step it up and figure out what we can do. You know, I converted my house to solar, um, last year, got a Prius. So I'm personally trying to do all kinds of things, but, you know, realistically, I feel like a, a lot of the things that I can do is just have a voice for these places that I've experienced um, changing and, and how I can communicate the things that I'm seeing um, to help people just kind of step it up and want to get involved and want to help preserve some of these wild places and also just like recognize that it's time for some real shifts in lifestyle and legislation and, you know, doing our part to protect the places we love as much as we can. How much of your attention or focus is right now on chicks climbing and skiing versus doing presidential things with the AMGA versus just doing your own guiding? What seems to be getting the the bulk of the, of the uh, pie chart of your day? <laughs> Let's do a month because a day is impossible to break it down. Got it. Fair okay? enough. So in a month, I would say two thirds is still guiding. You know, I probably guide still from 130 to over 200 days a year. Um, and that involves my work with the American Mountain Guides Association. So like guiding and instructing, examining, um, and then in between the rest of that thirds, I'd say it's pretty equal between um, my chicks work and um, my work with the, the AMGA board of directors and uh, the staff at the AMGA. Maybe a little more AMGA right now because um, that's a little newer. Um, there's a lot more moving parts. Chicks climbing and skiing, we're, we're still relatively small um, and we, we run really small kind of intimate programs. Um, and I, the hat that I wear mostly with chicks climbing and skiing is a, is our sponsorship director. So, uh, around, um, the outdoor retailer trade shows, I get really busy, you know, communicating with our sponsors and talking about the next year to come and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, 
making sure that we have all the demo equipment that we need to provide for all of our programs and invoicing and contracts and those, those types of things. The dirty work. The dirty work, the behind the scenes work that I said I'd never do. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody's got to do it, Angela. That's Uh, right. And given that you're still getting out in the mountains a couple hundred days a year, I don't feel that sorry for you, actually. (laughs) I think you're doing okay. Um, For people who, well, first of all, where's the best place to connect with Chicks Climbing and Skiing? Chickswithpicks.net. Chickswithpicks.net, Okay. Or on Facebook, you can find us, Chicks Climbing and Skiing. Okay. Where is your preferred way or platform for people to connect with you if they're interested in going guiding with you, which I highly recommend? (laughs) Uh, I have an extremely outdated website that I'm somewhat embarrassed by, but (laughs) I guess that's a sign of being productive in other aspects of my life. That's right. Yeah, you can find me at uh, AngelaHaws.com. That's spelled last name H-A-W-S-E. Um, you can also find me at uh, the American Mountain Guides Association on, under Hire a Guide. Um, yeah, that's, those are probably the best two ways. And you can also find me at Chicks Climbing and Skiing. Um, we I should also say we have, uh, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter and uh, even I think Pinterest. Um, but Social media is not my preferred method of communicating, although you you can find me on uh, Facebook and you can find me on Instagram at Alpinist007. Excellent. Angela, um, thank you, really. I still really like the fact that we met in the mountains and uh, I went about telling everybody all excited about how cool my guide was. And and now after this conversation, I am... (laughs) <laughs> much clearer on just how exactly cool my my guide is and obviously as i as i've been following you since that day and learning more and my eyes just kept getting bigger a bit and bigger you've accomplished so much in this world thank you for your work in this world um and as you are so involved in in training up guides and as you said i mean as you're getting a community that has these higher standards. And um, that's just important stuff, I think, for all of us who are partaking in these worlds of climbing and skiing and the rest, and, and really grateful for, um, one, your time here, but two, the, your life's work, really. Thank you for this. Thank you, Jonathan. I really appreciate that. And uh, it's been a, a real honor. I'm completely humbled to be on your show. And I hope we can get out in the mountains again. Let's go skiing next year. I would love that. So that is, <laughs> that's got to be the goal for, for 2019. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to work toward that. And uh, Angela, I look forward to catching up with you down the line and good luck with all of the various hats you are currently wearing. Thanks, Jonathan. Have a great spring. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. That's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. Thanks to Angela Haas for the conversation. And if you'd like to connect with Angela about guiding or the AMGA or chicks climbing and skiing, you can email her at alpinist007 at mac.com. Thanks also to Luke Alley for producing this episode. And as always, thanks to you for listening. Please take good care out there, and we will talk to you again next week.